0: back to the culture call on praise 93.3 with l spencer smith our desire is to reach and empower the community by discussing a cross-section of relevant topics from various perspectives that are essential to its growth and interpersonal connections be sure to save our call-in number 205-752-4800 be sure to install the free praise 93.3 app so you can send l spencer smith a message or topic idea search for WTF in your app store. This is a world premiere. Great morning, great morning, great morning, precious people. You know what time it is. It's time for your favorite talk show right here on Praise 93.3, The Culture Call with your Shirley Ellen Spencer-Smith right here. This is indeed the place where Tuscaloosa, yeah, meets the world. And for the next two hours from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., We're going to be here talking a little bit about everything. That's right, from society to sports, education to economics, and from religion to relationships. And as always, we are here to create a safe space, a safe space to have uh, empowering, provocative, and yes, sometimes controversial conversations. And guess what? You can join us right here and learn together as we share on the Culture Call. Listen, if you are our first time listener uh, this morning, welcome to the Culture Call family. We are excited to have you and so, so very blessed that you are listening on this morning. You might be traveling through our city are just tuned in. Yeah, you're listening to some great gospel music and you just tuned in and now you got me. That's right, Elspeth Smith. And I promise you, it will not disappoint. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Always want to send a shout out to Brother Jay. He told y'all to treat me nice. That's what he said. (laughs) Treat me good today. That's right. And you're going to find out why in just a minute. Yeah, treat me good. Uh, But we give him a shout out. Why? Because he always blazes the trail And sets the mornings on fire with amazing, awesome gospel music until he hands me that hot baton and I try to run until noon uh, today. And so listen, I'm telling you, shout out to him and shout out to all of you who are our consistent, committed, uh, recurring listeners. I appreciate you. You have made Culture Call what it is. That's right. In our time slot, we are blazing. That's right. And it is all because of you. I don't want you to ever think that I take it for granted that you listen to me every day and uh, call in, hit me up on the app. Yes, I am so very blessed to have you as a part of the Culture Call family. That's who makes it up. You do, right? Do me a favor, y'all. If you've not done so already, go ahead to your, uh, your app device on your smart device right go to your app store on your smart device and search there for a free 99 app praise 93.3 go ahead and search that and download that on your phone and you can listen to us anywhere in the world that's right you can where they pick us up you can listen to us and indefinitely anywhere in this here United States that's right and so no matter whether you're in Topeka Kansas Chicago Illinois Dallas Texas or right here in the beautiful city of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Birmingham, Mobile, Montgomery, Huntsville, and all the surrounding areas, Utah, Reform, Gordo, uh, Blackton, wherever you are, you definitely can hear us uh, sending a shout out to all of you guys. Let me know that you're listening wherever you are, okay? Good deal, good deal. Uh, let's see. And also, you can send me your public service announcements or your uh, your your events at culturecall.praise at gmail.com, culturecall.praise at gmail.com. I'm telling you, uh, when you send that in, I'm going to get on my megaphone, or my bullhorn, on this hairy radio, and I'm going to let everybody know, lotty-dottie, and everybody know what's happening in your neck of the woods, in your organization, uh, your sorority, your fraternity, whether you're an artist getting ready to have a concert, or definitely whether you're a preacher getting ready to do a revival. Guess what? We want everybody to know so that they can put some faces in the place. That's right, that we want faces in the place so that you won't be sitting up in a building by yourself waiting to have an event. No, absolutely not. We want you to know that what you do is important in our community and that you feel supported. You know why? Because we do it better when we do it together. And as always, you can listen in and call. That's the golden number. It's 205-752-4800. That's 205-752-4800. You can call in and chat it up with me. Give me your perspective What what, talk, what we're talking about today. You definitely, when you download the app, you can hit it, uh, hit me up on the chat feature. And uh, yeah, I read it during the breaks and then I bring it up on the next uh, next half. Absolutely. I want everybody to know what you have to say. And yeah, so that we can learn together right here. I want to hear from you. More, uh, importantly, maybe you've missed the previous broadcast. You can go to Apple Podcasts and look up Culture Call uh, and hear our previous broadcast and be a blessing. You don't have to miss a thing. We made it portable for you. Uh, so that you can listen at your leisure leisure, and of course uh you can follow us on Facebook. Uh, and that's the culture call. Go ahead and press that like button. Do me a favor. Press that like button and you can get all of the details of what we talk about on the show. Good deal? Listen. So sit back and relax. Grab you some coffee because you're going to need a little bit today. <laughs> Whether it's Max House or Starbucks, definitely get you some herbal tea. If you don't do coffee or you're laying off your own consecration or you're on a fast and you're laying off coffee, yeah, you can get you some herbal tea, some herbal green tea, give you a little kick, a caffeine kick in the morning, or some chamomile if you're trying to calm down and chill out. Absolutely. Or you can get some alkaline water. My favorite is Essentia. That's right, Essentia water. But go ahead and detox that body. Uh, get out of all that chitlins and hog malls and stuff that you've been eating, fried foods and all that. Get down to that cellular level and shake them and say, hey, wake up. Yeah, this is a new day, and let's get into the culture. Listen, saints and different ones, we've got so much to talk about, but I'm going to be very pointed because I could literally talk about this uh, subject matter for three or four days because that's kind of how extensive it is. Uh, we're going to be talking about this morning race in America. I want to bring that up. I want to bring that to our community. I want to have a discussion uh, with those uh, uh, you know, us good church folks and what that means. I want to have a conversation uh, with with America, about America. And uh, uh, I think it is apropos and very important because of what we see going on today in uh, the year of our Lord 2024, right? So much has happened in the last few weeks. And even, even before 2024 came in, so much happened to change the racial game in America, Uh, And not so much to change it, uh, but to definitely remind us that there is some level of racial animosity uh, in this country that still abides very strongly, right? And so we're going to be talking a little bit about that today, Uh, not to offend anyone, but I think it is very important that we have this measure and this conversation so that we can begin to talk about what should our posture be as the black community as we watch things Transpire right And then we are Americanly Gaslit to make it seem Like these things are not happening Uh, I think it's very important For us to begin to address this Why because you know Hey it's the reality That we live in And there are not many other people in this country That has, has the history And all the present context Of reality than those of us Who are african americans And I think that is important for us to address, at least to address it so that those who are, are, are you know, are participating in it, are proponents for it, are, are, are purveyors, are provocateurs who utilize uh, racial animus and racial identity politics, even in a a quasi um, reverse sense. And we're going to talk about that, that they will know that uh, we're not late last or lost concerning the a- uh, the 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 of race in a, in this country in our community definitely we need to bring it to bear um, for generational context because do our children really understand um, what it means to be uh, black in America African American in America my minorities in America what does that look like what does that mean and the reason why I am prefacing it like this before I go head first is because. I know our affinity to be congenial uh, around subject matters that we don't like to rock the boat and I don't understand why it is rocking the boat when you give when you you know when you call when you call a thing a thing and you you know and you tell the truth about it and you're honest about it I don't know why it would be a provocative or something that would cause fire and er of anger you know and anger in 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 the human consciousness right um you know, like my, my four parents used to say, my granddaddy, my all of them used to say the hit dog hollers, right? And so it doesn't, it doesn't, I want to bring some contextuality to what race in America looks like, what it means, and see if we can all understand from, and bring a particular theological perspective, a particular per- theological perspective, and I'll tell you why I'm doing that as well. So let's, let's come in. I want to bring a centering moment here. Let's come on in the room. Come on in the room real quick. Uh, drink your coffee, take a sip, take a deep breath, and let's go. This centering moment, I want to label. Um, what does it mean? What does it really mean? That's what I want to talk about. Um, and in this, in the last couple of years, what we have seen and what we've come to know is, is that since the even prior to, but most definitely since the election of Richard Nixon, um, in a very Uh, and and that was in the 60s, uh, there has been uh, a a particular uh, toolage and weaponry uh, that uh, politics has used in order to gain power and remain in power. Um, Years ago, Richard Nixon and Lee Atwater devised this strategy called the Southern Strategy. And that's very interesting since we live in the South. And that was to create... Uh, this whole thing called the war on drugs, but it was centered around racial animus and racial disparity. Was there a war on drugs? Were there drugs? Yes. But did there need to be a war? No, because it painted a particular community as credence, as criminals, as those that needed to be overly policed uh, so that they uh, so that they could uh, be uh, uh, removed from not only the body politic, but this new civilization at that time the southern democrats known as the dixiecrats uh uh moved from the democratic party and like the great migration moved over to the republican party the grand old party and because uh when when we got to uh lyndon baines johnson a lot of the democrats a lot of the republicans switched to democrats because of the civil rights movement and and again this is a uh uh a conversation, a lengthy conversation to have about each segment. One of the things that I need us to understand, however, even though I start there, is that from the very fabric of this American uh, ex, uh, experiment, experiment, that it has been deemed uh, a racial, has racial context, from how we, uh, how this country uh, dealt with the Native Americans and then uh the africans in the trade uh transatlantic uh slave trade uh making the enslaved work uh as chattel right Chattels, which means property uh, on the level of animals uh, uh on those things right so that we were not human in this country from the very beginning we helped them fight their wars and we helped them build and establish this country but but when they said all men are created equal, they did not have in mind. And we need to tell the truth of that. When that language was written uh, in the Constitution, uh, that 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 it, uh, it caused us to understand that they did not mean the African slave, right? Uh, you could tell it by the third stanza even of the national anthem. This is why we, we don't sing but the first stanza, right? Because the third stanza, uh, speaks be uh, speaks of the cultural context of that time and and so that has been the fabric of the Ameri- uh, of the American context and that racial animus that was borrowed or that racial uh conditioning that was that was planted in this country was a borrowing from the European t- uh, context that made race in the 14 1500s a social construct right a social construct with Darwin and all those cats like that, you know, again, I don't want to be too scientific, but it made it a social construct. So so from the beginning of, of the world, uh, there was ethnicity, an issue with ethnicity, but not race as such. Because when you read the text, the Bible, most of those people in the text, especially in uh, the Old Testament, were black and brown people. There were... Uh, There were no white people in the Old Testament. They don't come in until uh, we see Cornelius come in. We see uh, uh, Peter dealing with that area uh, era. But that's when they come into the context. But the world had been going on and is written biblically from a theological perspective, uh, from a biblical perspective, that the anthropology of the Old Testament, uh, the color of those people, We're from the same region. And if you look at a map, you can tell exactly uh, what those people would have looked like in terms of color and hue. And so when we get to Europe, Europe decides that we need to, uh, we need to civilize the entire world. The way that we do that is we have to construct this uh, social experiment called race and do separations based upon race, and not only separations based upon race, but to create, watch this word, a hierarchy based upon uh, the color chart and assign worth and value contingent upon your color, right? And and so it was God at the top, the angels, and then the white structure, the white ethnic structure, right? So white men uh, and white men landowners, women, uh, and then white men who were not landowners and then white children. And then on the chart it has this on the top of the chart it has being. And then on the in the middle of the chart it has non-being and under that were black, black men, black women, black children, right? And then when you add that hierarchy and then you had everything in, under the non-being chart dwelt in darkness. And so you see where they, all of that dwelt in darkness. That says that anything on this chart, it's a literal chart. Now, yeah, I know it's radio you can't see it, but it's a literal chart that has being at the top and in the middle, it has non-being. Darkness, anything that dwelt under darkness or non-being was not regarded to have any God essence, was not regarded to have any viable human context. Uh, that that was not they were they did not have any kind of worth and perspective other than to serve those who had being, right? And so this is the culture in the 14 and 1500s that was constructed and supported by a religious uh, ideology, right? And all the, in other words, this is how God wanted it to be, right? And anything underneath that uh, a non-being could be enslaved was not worth could not be educated could not be had no being now watch this they borrow from the text and and twisted it you know in the book of acts it says in him we live what we move and what we have our being in him in Christ in God this is who we have right paul is having a conversation with those uh, Romans, Grecians, and all of those. And so it's a European construct. And so if you did not have being, you were not made by God or you had no kind of divine essence, right? And so now you see this thing taking construct and the whole, when you get into the formations of the church, uh, the earliest church fathers were African, North African people. But by the time you get with uh, the church and society, formulated by Constantine, formulated by the popes, Roman Catholicism. You see then where they utilize religion, connected it to race and their value chart and how they treated the world, right? How they begin to establish domination and wars against people who did not look like them, right? And then we get into the whole uh, uh, slave trade uh, and slavery back in that day, was not was not like how they describe it and how they utilized it in America, right? When you were a slave back in the day, you were normally a prisoner of war or you normally owed a debt, which means you could work your way out of slavery, right? But in the European construct, especially when they came over to the Americas, here's what they did. They said, well, these people don't even, these these entities are animals. They are barbarians. They don't even exist in the context of the divine. And And so we can subjugate them. We can penalize them. They don't feel pain. They're made to be beaten. They're made to be whipped. They have no value, right? And this is the context by which the United States of America brings along from Europe its racial identity, racial ideology, and ultimately racial animus. Good deal. All right, so then, so from the very fabric of this country, there has been a racial underlying context, right? And so to fast forward it, fast forward it, we get to this whole uprising in the Civil War because this enslaved understood, especially the closer you got to them uh, that that had an African understanding, they understood, wait a minute, a God context you know, because uh, Christianity was in Africa way before it ever got to Europe, way before it ever got to Europe. And so this construct in this country uh, caused a lot of revolts and rebellions, uh, you see in Nat Turner, but that was not the only one. and you know we talk about the United States, but we could talk about Haiti, we could talk about South America, we could talk about Jamaica, we could talk about the island Caribbean, all of there were up uh, revolts. why? Because they were like, no, absolutely, we are not going to live in slavery. We are not going to be enslaved. We're going to overthrow. absolutely. And there, there's some context to that as well. And again, like I said, this is a long conversation let's fast forward. We go through the civil, uh, the, the, uh, the civil war with Abraham Lincoln in the 1800s uh, in this country. And they say, or well, not they say, but history provides for us in the creeds of secession that Mississippi, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, the Southern states, they were upset with the union, the United States, watch this, because at that time they did not the, the, the union was like, no, we can't consistently have slavery in the context in which you want to have it. The southern states were like, absolutely, we have built our wealth off of the enslavement of black people. And so for you to tell us we can't have slaves, we're not being a part of the United States. That's what created the Civil War. Now, I know people today have this, you know, they're, they're, they're gaslighting and trying to say, well, that's not what the Civil War was about. It was about states' rights. States' rights to do what, though? states rights to own slaves that's what the civil war was about and of course we understood how that ended uh and that when when all of that ended um you know there were promises made general sherman made promises to the enslaved now that you're freed uh from this uh racial animus here it is that we're going to give you three hundred dollars per enslaved person which never happened um when the next president, after uh, Lincoln was shot and assassinated, the next president reversed it. And instead of paying the, uh, the enslaved, they prayed the enslavers, right? We never got our 40 acres and a mule, none of that. We get to the civil rights movement. But before the civil rights movement, they had uh, African-Americans in government now, because now we're somewhat human. But then that was a problem, you know, And so they start with Reconstruction. They had a problem with Reconstruction, and this is where around Reconstruction you have this whole idea of uh, the KKK being formulated in Indiana. You have all of these different kinds of things happening, and this they started, you know, uh, making sure that blacks had no table or had no seat at the table of government and politics because they understood that government determines policy. I know this is a long history, but I gotta walk it out so you can understand it. That that blacks cannot have a, a seat at the table in Congress, uh, which we did, and so slowly but surely they instituted this this method of 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 Jim Crow. There it is, and and put these particular codes in uh, the Thirteenth Amendment so that they can c- continue to uh, again uh, slavery and this third uh, this Jim Crow whole ideology flows until we get all through the south all through the country right this segregational mentality again and it's all about race it's all about race good deal all right and so i'm tracking this because i'm going to make a point at the end and so we get through uh civil rights we fight against jim crow and then you have Martin luther king you have rosa parks the montgomery bus boycott you have all of those things that's happening you know uh Plessy versus Ferguson, uh, you have Brown versus the Board of Education, you have all of these things, you have, you know, uh all, all this is happening in America, fire hoses, you have Bull Connor in uh in Birmingham, you have all of this racial animus, you have lynchings, you have burnings of black people, all of this. We get to the 70s and the 80s and racism the overt racism. If you get, you know, you got George Wallace standing on the steps of the University of Alabama saying, "Segregation to, uh, today, uh, segregation yesterday, today, tomorrow, all that, right? Segregation forever." You have all of those things. Having the federal government having to, you know, allow blacks into the University of Alabama and desegregate a lot of the southern institutions, high schools, and all of those things. All of this we resume to uh, to the eighties, and you see. But at the end of the 70s and the 80s, you see black prosperity coming. You see blacks becoming and formulating uh, this middle class, right? Uh, you also, and if I can revert, you see before that happens, you see this great migration of blacks from the south, right, to the middle, uh, 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 the, uh, the Midwest and to the uh, northern states, because that's what, that was industrialized. They could make good pay there, blah, blah, blah. All those things, they, they could become a solid portion and solid participants in this Americana experiment, right? But, comma, racial animus was lying dormant in this country all of that time. It, it never stopped. Then we had affirmative action. You know, and then we had all of these th- different kinds of things that were happening in the courts the Voting Rights Act, Public Accommodations Bill, uh, all of these things happening, right? And we get to the 80s and then the 90s, rac- racial animus is still there, but we now are experiencing some of the trappings of capitalism in America. And I'm talking about black people. And we forget about the history of what all has gone on. Zoom forward. We have our first African-American president. First one to run uh, was Jesse Jackson, actually Shirley Chisholm, then Jesse Jackson. Um, and then that changed the context of, of American politics. And then we get to Barack Obama, 2008. And then we had eight years of him. And then the country is at a pivotal place. It's at a pivotal place whereby, whereby we think that we are in a what? post-racial society, because, of course, that's what the election of Barack Obama made, made sense of, right? And then we elected the former president. And he understood that before he was a Democrat, he understood that if I want to be president, if I want to win, I've got to switch parties and explore the racial fear and the uh, context of Uh, of this this white fear, and I've got to divide and separate in order for me to have a chance to become president. And the Democrats ran someone that America was not ready for in Hillary Clinton. And so here it is, at 2006, we get the restoking of this whole racial, political, religious divisions in America with just one person. And fast forward till today. And we are now at the precipice of electing that one again. So that we can further, who has promises to further triple down on what he started in 2016. And I'm going to ask you, do you really understand what that means? What does this mean for the American experience, experiment? What is that What does that mean for race in America, for religion in America? And we got to pay attention. And yeah, we got to because there is something upcoming. And if we don't pay attention, we are going to be late, last and lost. Listen, we're having a conversation about race in America. I wanted to walk you through the history so you understand the context that we're going to be coming up with right here on the culture call with yours truly. Spencer Smith right here on praise 93.3. Go ahead and drink you some coffee. I know you need it (laughs) after that history lesson and keep it right here. Don't miss it. This is a world premiere. And we are back right here on The Culture Call with yours truly Spencer Smith, on Praise 93.3, your inspiration station. And we're having a provocative conversation this morning about race in America. And yeah, in our first half, we just gave you a little history and walked you up a little bit. Just wanted to, you know, kind of get your appetite so you can start thinking. 2016 changed a whole lot, uh, and maybe not. Revealed, there you go, revealed a whole lot about how we, uh, how our progress on race and this racial context in the history and the future of race in America. That That one person was allowed and has been allowed consistently since then um, to stir up that animus uh, again, like like it has not been since the sixties. You know, this whole idea of division, uh, this this whole idea of separation, this whole idea of nationalism, this whole idea of supremacy and superiority, that they're trying to revitalize in some form and fashion that whole being chart that that is a part of the needle and thread of the american fabric and whenever it is confronted they would rather rather rip the garment that's being put together you know instead of uh, understanding that maybe maybe we need a better patch right here i know there are many that says hey let's throw the whole american experiment away but the problem with that is is that you have no other skill to live anywhere else. And why, why would you you leave where you did not build? You know, why would you leave what you built? In other words, why we, as much as our homeland and our motherland is Africa from an ancestral context that we have ownership, we have some level of placement in this country. We have a level of defined placement in this country and in culture. So let's absolve ourselves to some degree that let's leave here because where are you going? Do you have the finances, the economy to even provide for you, moving you and your entire family to another country? So I'm saying all that to say we've got to play the cards that we've been dealt. And the way that we do that is, number one, understand, number one, the history. Number two, be honest and an integrity about the present so that we can be uh, pers- uh, we can have some level of expectation and hope for the future. right? The reason why I walked that and I started with that is because now you have uh, DeSantis or you had DeSantis, and you have Nikki Haley trying to go to the right <laughs> of the former president. And that always Stokes racial context. That always stokes that, right? It's it's not about being more intelligent. That's not hard to do. It's not about being, you know, more studious. It's not about being more having more gravitas with politics, uh, politicians, and and government. Because we know uh, Florida's governor Desantis and former South Carolina governor Haley has more, right? So it's that's not even what it's about. That they are falling behind in the polls, right? To the point where DeSantis just dropped out. Don't you mock him? Because I'm gonna come back to him in a minute. But Haley is holding on by a string, right? And, and and people are voting for the man who they know stokes racial animus. They know he is not a a, a unifier. They are clear that there is some level of ego maniacal movement in his direction. They know that he is disconnected from reality, and yet they want him, right? That people get the leaders that they want. Why? Because people see in the person who leads them what they want to be, right? Did you get that? That people see in them what they want to be or what they desire to be or what they where they find connection and parity. So there are a great swath of people in the millions in this country that believe and see the world in which he see how he sees it, right? And so when you have, when you have uh, Governor Nikki Haley uh, saying that this has never been a racist country, bar the fact of what all of the history I just gave you, what is she up to? Because words matter, language matters. So she says it's I, this has never been a racist country. Let's do a little history with her. Number one, her family were an Indian family that moved over here, and her father could not find a job, who he was an educated professor, could not find a job. No PWI, no uh, uh, public, uh, no predominantly white institution would hire him because he was a brown man, right? From and with Indian descent, right? Would hire him. So he had to teach where? Guess where? At an HBCU, historically black college and university, right? Her real name is Nimrata, right? how, how, How do you get from Nikki to from Nimrata to Nikki? She is. Watch this. She found power in white adjacency. So her the whole context of her life has been. Maybe if I ignore race or don't utilize that, that they won't see me like that. You see me? They won't see me as the brown girl. Now she just came yesterday and said, "Well, I was picked on and attacked, uh, but because I was brown." Well, ma'am, what do you think that was in the South? Now I know where you live. You live about an hour away from where I grew up. Most corners she she grew up in Orangeburg, South Carolina, which. Is the place where South Carolina State University and Claflin University is, right? And and Orangeburg at that time was a heavily racist place. It was the place where my parents got put in jail for trying to vote. It was the place where my uncle got shot in the posterior running away from police bullets for trying to vote, right? It was that place that they were fighting to vote in Orangeburg, South Carolina, Right, it was that place where she says experienced all of that, and she has the nerve, the mitigating goal, the audacity to make the claim in 2024 that America has never been a racist country. History doesn't prove it. The the secession documents that the Southern states proffered to uh, the federal government at the time said that we leave in the union because y'all don't want us to have slavery. That's our economic capitalistic engine, slavery is. We're not going to pick no cotton. But we no, that's not what it is. And so all of that happened right there. South Carolina, where they, they uh, began to outlaw CRT, critical race theory, as being taught in, in uh, elementary and middle schools, of which it was never taught. CRT, critical race theory, is a master degree level study that's on the co- that's on the uh, that's taught mainly in law school. It's a legal concept by uh, what's her name, Michelle Crenshaw. That 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 came up with that whole idea of being able to trace from a legal perspective how race how race has formulated. In the legal system and every other system, it is a it is a place of study. It's a theory. It's not even something that has been proven, even though it has been proven. It's critical race theory. South Carolina was the first one, not Florida, that banned that, that outlawed that, <laughs> right? South Carolina, you lived in that state, Naked Hilly, and you say to us, under your administration, you had to remove Confederate soldiers from uh, uh, predominant parks in South Carolina. You were there when that young man came in and killed the Emanuel Nine for the very fact that they were black. You have the audacity to say that America was never a racist country? Are we serious? But stop, push pause. What is she trying to do? What is, uh, uh, other than lying, Other than uh, other than erasure, she is trying to, to gain those that undercover uh, and to split or to divide the undercover racial animus that exist in the heart of those who vote voted for the former president. She's trying to siphon off of some of his uh, support in South Carolina. See, after New Hampshire, it's the South Carolina primaries for the Republican Party. That's why she's saying that. She's trying to give them cover for what is clear. Even though she's experienced it in her own life, her own reality, she experienced that, right? And so then what does the former president do? He says, he comes on and says, how come she doesn't use her real name, Nimrata?" See, he knows what he's doing. He's using it because he knows that there are people still in the South that have racial animus against the other. He's trying to otherize her because he's trying to keep his white supremacist base connected to him. And he sees a level of threat. And the first weapon he has against the threat of, of them disconnecting from him was what? Utilize race. Right? Which is why she had to come back and say, yeah, as a brown girl, you went to Orangeburg Prep. Anyone that knows and from South Carolina that knows about Orangeburg Prep, that was one of the uh, most uh, segregated white institutions in South Carolina. Orangeburg Prep was a private school at the time. That's where she went to school. Because she was like, okay, listen, I don't want to deal with this. So the rest of my life, my brown self is going to have white adjacency and it's going to alleviate me from, watch this, alleviate me from the racial problem and context that brown people more brown than me have, than black folks have. You see? But she has the gall to say, you see what I'm saying? Culture call. See, again- It's utilized, it's trotted out, even in this political sector. Pay attention, pay attention. The language is important. And then you have, you know, Governor DeSantis, that's kind of, that's removing uh, history, black American history, closing it down, can't be taught in high schools. They can't teach DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, in, in upper level schools. Uh, in, in universities and public universities and colleges they cannot they, removing all vestiges of of those things all erasing all of our history making the statement that slavery in this country was not so bad that slaves utilized the skills that they had uh, in learned in slavery as a you know to to better themselves and become entrepreneurs are you serious? Are you you're trying, first you're trying to erase my history, and then you're trying to reimagine and re-event, reinvent a context where you say, DeSantis, where slavery worked for the slave. Right? <laughs> are, are you, are you, are, really? See, and this is the context. And our children, this is why I'm bringing up, our children, they want a generation of children that does not know about the civil rights move, movement, that does not know about Martin Luther King. They don't want him in the, the conversation anymore because what they're discovering is that they have two whitewashed Martin Luther King Jr. They trot out his quotes, and it's only one quote, you know, uh, you know, predominant quote, that Uh, 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 that he wants his children to grow up in a world uh, that they are not regarded by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. They trot out that one, right? All while erasing his history and the history of the civil rights movement from out of school, from out of history being taught in that. And I don't want anything about black people, black people in particular, to be taught in our school systems. You see what I'm saying? Here's the here's the here's the fact the factoid, and, and 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 they're doing that because they want there to be an erasure, not of the racial hate and animus in this country, but the history they want to they want to absorb those who feel guilty because the ancestors or their foreparents that co- that are committed a lot of those racial crimes and violence and hate that that they are still alive. They're in their 60s and their 70s and some in their 80s. They are still alive. People that witness ha- hangings and, and unfair incarcerations, they're still alive in this country. And I don't want my grandpappy to feel bad about the things that he did documentedly. I don't want him to feel bad about that. So the way that we do that, I don't want his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren to learn what kind of man he grew up with, grew up to be. I don't want them to start asking questions. So the best thing to do is let's outlaw it. And because I'm the governor and because I am a part of this party who wants to forget about that, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to take it out of the school system. And this is the private the problem with privatized uh, education and charter schools. This is why they're really pushing those vouchers instead of making public school an equity assignment see they're taking the history out of public schools encouraging you to go to private schools where you have no kind of recourse about the curriculum that they're teaching why because those schools are not governed by the education boards of education you see culture call it's 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 systemic and it's happening right in our face in the year of our lord 2024 And I'm not having this discussion so they can create some kind of, some violence in you. No, but I am talking about it so that there can be some vigilance in you. Vigilance for the education of our children. Vigilance for why cannot our history be reflected when we were such a tremendous part of creating and building this country? Why is that? Where is the pushback? And stealthily, they are doing it in all the southern states, even in our state they haven't figured out really how to do it but stealthily quietly they're doing it right and there is not a majority democratic presence that can really fight against it because you know the the houses and the senate in this state and the governor is predominantly you know it is predominantly supermajority gop right and so those are the things that we must be concerned about and so that that we have people who are adequately positioned and not even adequately positioned, this is what the redistricting conversation is about. This is why they are trying to redistrict and gentrify and, and, you know, and gerrymander, not gentrify, gerrymander certain areas so that they can uh, create districts that make it safe for them to exist, that makes it safe for their supermajority to exist so that they won't have any kind of contention with the policies right with this with the policies that they're making and fortunately we have judges in this country that says hey wait wait hold it no we can't do that that's not fair we have no to go back and do it again there was just an overturning of the uh, of districts in louisiana happened here in alabama as well all over the country they're trying to create and gerrymander states so that they can have the supermajority And it's about elections, it's about voting, but it's also about the question of what can be taught in our educational system. And you have to begin, when you look at all of the policies that they're creating, it has one root, and that is racial animus, because we don't want them to vote. Because if they vote, we won't win. If we make it hard for them to vote, they're going to stay home. And that's exactly what, right. So we need to pay attention, culture called black community. We need to pay attention to what's really going on and have an answer and be mobilized and be vigilant about that answer and begin to demand what we really require in this country as a black community, not in division, you know, not in separation, but in full worth in humanity and value who I am. And see my face and allow Not allow, because you don't have to Allow me, but because I intend There it is, to participate In this body politic In this American experiment Woo-wee, we got a lot to talk about Listen, 205-752-4800 Weigh in on the app So much to talk about on this subject Listen, don't move Stay right here, right here on the Culture Call with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith There's more to come, don't miss it We are back right here on The Culture Call with yours truly, El Spencer Smith. It's 11 a.m. That's right. <laughs> 11 a.m. and some change right here on Praise 93.3, your inspiration station. And so glad to have you guys with us on today. Absolutely. Uh, if you're just getting on with us, welcome to The Culture Call family. And definitely welcome to the conversation. I think it is important uh, that we have this conversation. We've been talking about race in America. Uh, the best way that we can And from uh, what we know Here's why I wanted to do this Is because I want to empower our community To somewhat You know to, For those who, who it applies to To shake out of our sleep And not to think of that there is a convenience uh, For us And a comfort for us To rest on our laurels in this country There's so much uh, That you've got to You know To, to, to give up in order for that to be maintained and for you to, to acknowledge, you know, your place in this country as a human being, as a person of African descent, uh, as an American, you know, and you, you've got to be able to understand the history and understand the present context so that we can arrive at the future. And that's kind of where I want to vector to in this in this segment, just talk a little bit about the current context, Right of what's happening right now um in our community with regards to race. I want to I want to talk about how have we as the black community handled the race question in the country in this country, right? And one of the things that I think is very important um that we have perhaps gotten away from is the uh the the expensive experience of that ignorance gives us right that that education is still our best uh, our, our best capital to engage this American aspect, this American uh, you know experiment. Why do you say education and not commerce, not money? well here's the deal money answers all things I, I heard a classmate of mine uh, say this last night, money answers all things. And you said, what, what does that have to even do with the question? No, I'll tell you. In other words, trace the money and you'll get the answer. If you look where the money is, where the money is coming from, where they're investing it, it will give you some clue about where the answers and who is in control. Because race and class go together in this country, right? As it presently stands. That there's not just black and white, there is also rich and poor. There is an economic divide, right? And uh, what we do in our community is we measure, uh, unfortunately, we measure a whole lot of value by the context of economic view. You know, how much money does this person have? How much money is it going to make me, right? Right. Is this what's in it for me? What is the cost of this? This how much I paid for this. This how, this how much they pay me on my job. We we measure it by the context of a system that we were literally literally part of the producers of the product and shared in no profit. And now capitalism, in some instances, have become our god and measure of value and worth, right? It's a whole, uh, what the hip hop community says, it's the whole cream, C-R-E-A-M mentality. Cash rules everything around me, right? And so, we from, from from how our children behave and how they, you know, some of the, the issues that they have in the street, it's not just about territory, it's about econ, econ, uh, economics, it's about an economy that they're trying to establish, right? I'm not going to college because college does not make me any money, but you need to understand it's a part that whole capitalistic money mindset is is etched in the DNA of the descendants of the enslaved. Why? Because we view everything in terms of worth and value kind of like the slave master did while we were the product, while we were on the auction block, while we were being sold, while we were being inherited as slaves to, to different families in a particular pedigree and bloodline. But the whole idea of how we measure life and understanding is how much money, what does it cost? And we're looking at it from, there's a generation That currently looks at it from a, I'm not saying here it is. First of all, let me get, let me get this straight culture call before, you know, that I'm not saying that money is not important because it is money is, money is how we are, you know, how we, how we deal with business matters and economic matters, how we learn how to gain certain things in this world that we don't get anything for free. You feel what I'm saying? It's like, it's, 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 so it's not that. So I understand you've got to have money because it does answer certain levels of questions, right? But the question that I want to pose as regards in the light of money, in the light of that particular understanding is, here it is, how much do we understand that the context of our lives are imported by this, how the way we view an economic decision? Right from the very beginning, that we w- stepped on this in this on this land, we were the the product. How much you gonna pay for this one? Is it a good slave? Is the can he produce? Can she hold babies? Can she does the? We had skill sets from Africa. First of all, slavery didn't teach us anything. We had skill sets from Africa. Duh, right? So that just pokes a hole in. DeSantis' ignorant argument. Nonetheless, I digress. Right? So we've moved from being being the product to watch this, still being the product. <laughs> what do you mean? We, wait a minute. We've moved from being the product to to being the product. Absolutely. Right then that because I know I know that there is going to be somebody around you that all they are concerned about is the money they're not going to be concerned about education they're not going to be concerned about the politics they're not going to be concerned about how this affects my community and what does this personal decision uh that I have how does it you know how does it affect me you know uh, it's this whole mentality. I don't care what happens to other people as long as it puts money in my pocket, right? Which means you are still a product <laughs> you, you're still not you, you, you're not a producer, but you are a product. You're still a consumer because your money is is going to Gucci, uh you know Louis Vuitton is going to things you can't afford to impress people who are not paying attention anyway. Because I've got to siphon away their economy. I've got to make sure that they, you know, disregard education. And the educated ones of them, I've got to let some of them in to the table. Because I don't want an argument around that. But I want to make sure that there is not enough education among their children In their generations, I want them to learn how to disregard uh, education, disregard degrees, disregard. I've got to make it in that way and position it so that they will not seek higher education, that they will not come to another level of intelligence and and knowledge, that they will not, uh, they'll begin to disparage school, that they will cause disruption. Now, when they do that, we can move in, remove them out of the system. You know, it's the pipeline. It's the school to prison pipeline. So in order to be able to make that successful, I've got to give them a view of education that is not realistic, that is not real. That's the view I've got to give them. I've got to, I've got to let them think that this doesn't make any sense anymore. That's what I got to do. I got to let them think that, hey, they, 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 they don't, you don't need no more education. Education for what, for what? Right? and they'll use that same education that was so far, so hard fought to get you in school to get you in in better schools or in to to get you educated to teach you how to read and to write and to have arithmetic the things that were you know that were taken away were, were not given to our forefathers they've got to make you think that education doesn't matter they'll make you hate the smart ones and prefer the one and say, hey, because it's all about the money, I got to go work. I got to go work. Only to be stuck at a job at a certain level because you don't have the educational prowess. You don't have the patience because right now, I got to make sure your entire life is a life that can only focus on finances and, edu- on, and economics so that you'll have no time to better yourself, Right? And so we have children right now who won't mind working at Sonics and Burger King and McDonald's to make some money so they can get their favorite sneakers, then to the same amount of time to put in studying, learning, passing the PSAT, the SAT, the ACT, right? So that they can have access. There it is, access, because the issue is not money now, the issue is access, Because you can have money and still not have access. Listen to me, chocolate community, listen to me. You can have money and still not have access. You still don't have the level to walk in certain rooms. You got pockets full, you got X, Y, Z, but depending on how you get it, there are certain rooms. You can't walk in the room of decision makers, right? So the whole idea is that education... Education is your best, your best uh, allowance, your best permitter for you to gain. Watch this access into a lot of these institutions, so that you can make viable, viable change. Changes for your home policy, changes, changes for your finances, economic changes. Right, that that's not what they want. They focus on the money. Focus on the money. And so all over this country, you've got people focusing on the money, how much it, how much it costs. I don't make enough money. And you're not, fo- I'm not going to the school. Right? And to the ones that are going to school, they say, okay, well, let's change the education game up. Let's take all the history out so they won't learn anything. Absolutely. Do you know, you ready? There is a school board with a superintendent in Texas that had put this black boy on suspension, I think this is his third or fourth suspension. Put him on suspension. Do you know why? Because of his hair. He has uh, uh, locks in his hair that is is essential to his culture, that is reflective of his culture, right? Well, no, they have suspended him because he refuses, he and his parents refuse to change his hair. Watch this. Watch this. And they said, That the way for, you know, for you to be successful in America is to conform. Conformity. Y'all don't hear me while I'm talking to y'all. Conformity is the best way. (laughs) Can you believe this? Conformity is the best way, you know, is the American way. Conform to what, though? This is not a melting pot. This is not a place where every culture and every national uh, ethnicity is respected. Absolutely not. This is not the country that reflects the biblical nature of what the Bible says of of entreating the immigrant and the na- uh, as a neighbor and the stranger as a friend. This is not that. This is a nation that wants you and I to conform. I don't care anything about your culture. Even though there would not be a, an American culture without black people. And you you market, we design the culture. The culture is reflective of us. Say it one more time. I think I will. The culture is reflective of us. And they don't want that. They do not want that. They don't, and 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 if we're not, because here it is, I don't want you to desire it, so guess what? I'm not going to let your kids even know about it. No, absolutely not, because we're trying to adapt you to this. We're still trying to, watch this, enslave you, your mind at least, to a culture that does not reflect you, because we don't want you to reflect you. We want you to reflect the dominant culture, the majority culture. And how insensitive, culture call, can this be for you to tell this boy, you are not even regarded. Your being, there we go again, your being is not regarded here because you are not conforming to the way we want you to look. We won't regard you as one that can learn a citizen. We won't regard you as a scholar. We won't regard you as a student and an academician because of those braids. Those braids cause us fear. Those braids are not something uh, that we can align up with. Those braids say uh, that, you know, speak to something that we cannot say that this that we have any bearing and or control over. So, in order for us not to have that kind of fear in our lives, because we are so my uh, minutely intelligent, we are so you know overtly ignorant that we'll say that you can't come to school and be educated because of your hair. Because of that, it doesn't reflect Americana, but punk hair does. What what does? It doesn't reflect. You know, conformity. Conformity is the word that the superintendent of schools used. Y'all not hearing me. Conformity is the word that he used uh, to describe this this whole issue. So yes, we're going to kick this black boy out of school. He's not going to be able to learn. He's not going to be able to be educated because of his hair. We don't have any kind of conclusive cultural control over how he does his hair, so we'll use the control that we do have and say you cannot learn unless you look like us. I, 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 listen, say amen or ouch. And so the question is, what's going on? Right? To this, uh, uh, this, this coach uh, the, the new coach for the uh New England New England Patriots uh Jared oh my goodness I forgot his last name but Jared he said I, I I don't I don't need a colorblind society I need you to see color because if I can't get you to see color guess what else I can't get you to see I can't get you to see race so that racism so that when it happens you will gaslight me and make it think that it is a figment of my t- imagination because you're trying to create. This thing that does not exist, which is a colorblind society. So that when I don't get equal pay, so that when my players are treated wrongly, so that one of them take a knee, you know, trying to bring attention to uh, police of uh, violence and discriminating law enforcement. When someone says, "Hey." Uh, You're saying this and that and that when we get in the boardroom, but you don't look at me, you look at me as a thoroughbred. You don't look at me as a human. I can call it to the carpet and you won't be able to utilize the scapegoat of colorblindness. You see the red light and you know that means stop. You see the yellow light, you know that means slow down. You see the green light and you know that means go. So you're not colorblind. You're not just running through traffic signals because I can't tell color. No. God never meant for you not to be able to tell color. That's not what it, no. The issue is, the issue is, I don't know how to use culture, you know, appropriately. I don't, a color, excuse me, not culture. I don't know how to govern that because I've been taught from a place of privilege and I don't care. Whether you are, you know, uh, support, you know, race, uh, racism or not, that does not matter that every person that's a white person benefits from the privilege of a country whose forefathers created an infrastructure and a system that did not include black and brown and red people. That's facts. And you don't hear me. And we don't we're not looking for white guilt. I think that's something that we need to educate ourselves. But nobody's looking for white guilt, but neither do we want to live under the banner of white fear. I am not, as a black man, an educated black man, a threat to anyone as it relates to race, as it relates to my humanity. Yes, I'm a, I'm a, a, a husband to an amazing woman who is my wife. I have Four beautiful children who are academically educated. I live in a wonderful home in a wonderful neighborhood. I pastor a beautiful black church with beautiful black people. Yes. And I have, I literally have white friends, literally. The first people who embraced me when I came to this town were not black people. They were highly suspect of this 25-year-old young preacher (laughs) coming from a place That from Florida, they thought, not knowing that I was really from South Carolina, he's coming to do whatever he does. He's of a Pentecostal Pentecostal persuasion. He's learned. He's educated, college educated. And he hadn't come to kiss our rings. He didn't come to, no. Was I hospitable? Yes. Do I know how to honor my elders? I was taught by a good granddaddy (laughs) that told me what to do when you go into a city. But was that going to kowtow and change the vision that God had given me for the particular people that, I, that he assigned me to? Absolutely not. I was going to stay in religious tradition and legalism to placate city fathers. That was not my assignment. And I'd rather obey God than obey men. And for a lot of that, I was blackballed. The person that gave me an opportunity of the first time to preach in the city was a white man, Pastor Tim Pippins, down 69, Victory Assemblies of God, gave me an open space to come preach at his church. That's what he gave me. He gave me an opportunity to preach first at his church. Didn't size me up, wasn't invite me to size me up or anything. So, you know, the person that embraced my purpose and destiny in this city was a white pastor. Uh huh. Yes, a- absolutely. And so we're we're definitely not bringing up the race question in America. We're not we're not trying to stoke any racial animus, any racial violence. This is not a a, a measure of reverse racism, which is which is I'm going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But reverse racism? No, it wasn't white uh, white adjacency. I wasn't trying to be close to him so that I could have some kind of presence and posture. No. That man sat in my and invited me. And when we sat down and talked, he said, God assigned me and told me to invite you to my church because you need somebody to embrace you and what the king and your kingdom assignment in this city. That's what he said to me. That was his initial words to me. Absolutely. So I I by no means are talking about this. To, so that we can go have a protest rally and march down the streets of Tuscaloosa down to you know the city council and no, no, this is not what this is it is to elucidate it is to bring to light that this is an existence yet in our country and it is still something that we've got to address especially in this 2024 political cavalcade uh, that we find ourselves being faced with it is not something that we have the luxury As black people to run away from, I'm concerned that our black homes are not teaching our children and providing them the opportunity of understanding the racial context of our country. I'm concerned by a generation alpha who's willing, who's willing not to vote or who's willing to vote for a third party without understanding that a third party has no bicameral success. They have no house. They have no Senate. They have no congressmen. They have no influence. So you're going to throw your vote away to make a statement. I'm telling you that there is, we're at the precipice in this country that we don't have that luxury Okay, try it again. I need to talk to a community that has always uh, aspired to look at the former president from a place of lucrative financial businessman. I grew up in that area, in the hip hop community, that he was utilized in their raps. He was trotted out to say, uh, you know, I want to be like that man because he's got this much money. He's a billionaire when he was living in New York and not Mar a Lago. Right prior to his ascension uh, to the top nominee of the Republican Party, I want to rescue a generation that thinks he's still that guy. You remember that that this was the same guy that if you moved to New York and you were a black man, a black woman, he would not rent you an apartment. The government had to make him change his rental policies because he would not he would not rent to folks that look like you and I. Hello, that he took out a page in the New York Times for the prosecution of the Central Park Five, who was uh, uh, unrightfully uh, accused of raping a woman that they did not do. And he was calling for New York to bring back the death penalty, along with the attorney general at the time, I believe, which was, guess who? Rudy Giuliani. This is the person that you want to put, you want to give a chance. There's a disconnect. That keeps that 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 that's for well this I I understand uh, and and I'm not sticking up for anybody but I you got to bring truth I understand how this generation looks at the Biden situation with Gaza Palestine and Israeli. I understand all of that I understand the historical context and here it is I'm not a bandwagoneer because you know we do a lot of that in our community we get on the bandwagon and we we don't, we hate somebody not because we are knowledgeable or we have any kind of dispute of anything, uh, of the situation, we get on the bandwagon, right? And so, yes, th- this is definitely not a perfect generation, but I'll tell you this, and this is the fact that this is the lowest that black unemployment has been in this country, even when Barack Obama was president, was not this low. Gas prices have not been this low, right? Student loan cancellations, I mean, and up until the billions have not happened in any other administration, right? right uh, 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 insulin and those uh, 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 and that that are cheaper and less expensive now are didn't happen in any other uh, administration than the one we are. Let's talk about what really is true. See, politics are politics and it cannot simply reflect one race. I get that. I understand that. And really, what a lot of people call President Obama a sellout for is because he said, listen, I'm, I'm, I can't be that dude that that comes in flying on a re, with a red cape and doing stuff specifically for black people. That's not how it works in this country. Well, how come it don't work in everybody else, everybody else? He says, no, that's it, because it doesn't. He's not going to pass anything. If that was the case, we would have had reparations by now. I need you to educate yourself. I'm not, again, we're not stoking the fires and making people feel like, oh, I I hate white people. I hate white people. Absolutely not. Because it took a great deal, a great swath of white folks to vote in President Obama. It takes a great great multiracial, multiethnic community to vote in a federal national leader but we cannot we can we have to understand from the proper context of what all of this means and our participation we cannot say i'm going to sit on the sideline this is not a time for black people to act as if there is not an urgency because the first people that are going to be hurt in it all is folks that look like you when we you and i when we look in the mirror Absolutely. Listen, this is The Culture Call with yours truly, Elspeth Smith, right here on Praise 93.3. Got more to come. Keep it right here. Don't miss it. This is a world premiere. And we are back right here on The Culture Call with yours truly, Elspeth Smith. Yeah, y'all know where we are. Praise 93.3, your inspiration station, having an amazing conversation about race in America. I want to talk a little bit about reverse racism. Because I think that's very important that, you know, people accuse so so many of us who are on the front lines and we, we start talking about it. You know, again, I get it, you know, but racism is not is a social construct that has to deal with uh, being able to organize, structure, systemize power. Uh, and influence in a community. it is the ability or to have the agency uh, to subjugate others based upon race. That means that the institutions uh, that are set up in a country financial, uh, religious uh, educational, you know uh, uh, entertainment media, all of that uh, has the power to be controlled by a particular race, a particular majority race, right? So when you take it from the the core word of what racism really is, there is there there is no in that in this country, there is no reverse racism because black and brown and red people, yellow people, you know, black people in particular have no power to create structures and systems. That people have to participate in that will diminish them or will exclude them based upon uh, their race. And that's truth. That, 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 so when the fo- somebody says reverse racism, I'm like, what? That tells me from the, that tells me from the jump that you do not understand. yeah, that, that, that the, you will understand. Uh, the whole idea and the whole context of of of, of let me let me see how I want to put this that you understand that you asserting as a black person your agency against any kind of racial animus is not reverse risk racism right now all of us have prejudice so let's not you know in various areas and for various people you know there're just certain people i don't i don't deal with and i don't categorize those people on the on the basis of race, I don't know. That's not no. More, for me, it's mainly in in terms of, and this might sound elitist, but it's in terms of intelligence. That for me, being late, last, and lost is just. So, I don't want to. I don't even want to be affiliated with that. But all of us have our particular preferences, and so you know that's why even the Divine Nine are they are not r- r- racist organizations. We allow. You know, be, we've admitted plenty of of white people and Hispanic people and people of other races and ethnicities in our fraternities and our sororities, right? Many white people in that go to HBCUs. I went to Florida AM University. There were many white people, you know, that went to our schools, you know? Um, the, it was never that society. We don't have HBCUs just because we wanted HBCUs, by the way. We have HBCUs because those were the places that were constructed for us by even some religious denominations that consisted of white people, you know, a whole lot of black founders. But they were constructed to give us a place to have higher education because we could not go to predominantly white institutions. That's the history. That's the truth. Right. But it, but we don't say, hey, you're white, you know, you can't come to an HBCU. We don't say that. That's not what. That's not our history. That's not what we do. Right? That that I think when, when it comes to the context of reverse racism, that is still a little bit of white fear and white guilt that is mixed and measured into that. Um, to 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 say, you know, here is the reality. Here is the reality. I am concerned. I am concerned as we come up to another year. I am concerned. There's so much to fight for. There's so much and what what you what you what you should not do is allow any one person to say, "Well, this and that and that and that." No, no, no. What I want you to be is a coherent individual. I want you to do the, get your lesson. You know, when I when I preach get on Sundays, I've got a uh, some good a good deacon to say, You showed, man, you got your lesson today. <laughs> that means you studied well. You did your readings. You, you, you made not only that, but you made sense. I can see what you're saying. That's all I want you to do is do your readings. That in this year, you know, a very pivotal year, and I'm gonna keep talking about it, that this, if if this administration is going to be reelected, it has a whole lot to do. As as with every administration the best that politics and politicians are supposed to do is do the best you can with a bicambrial house for the benefit of all Americans that's what it's all about it's not you you know being the black president and you saying I'm gonna help only black people or you being a white president and saying I'm gonna help only white that is not what having the top office in this country is. It's its fixing the best way you can and creating policies that best reflect what is good for the Amer- American populace of which black people are a part of. And you value that. That's why. That's why there are fights all over this country for, you know, against voter suppression laws. That's why there's a fight over all this country about gerrymandering. That's why there is a big fight after a uh, uh, incarcerated a convicted person has served their sentence and done their debt to society to restore their voting because how can you how can they be restored to full citizenry when you won't give them the right to vote that the the right that all full citizens have. You see what I'm saying? So this is why it's a policy perspective Right, that yes, you've got to confront some of the uh, the uh, in economic and financial inequities in the country. You've got to deal with the personhood issue. You know, you've got to deal with that. See, here is the deal. Here is the deal. I carry my beliefs and my convictions with me all the time. All of the time, I carry them with me all of the time. Here is the reality, though. The reality is this: is that as a pastor, I can do one thing. I can stand up for this. I can stand up for my beliefs. I can stand up that. You know, when I'm in my pulpit and in my church, the impact nation, I speak up for kingdom people and believers and what are the ethics of God. What are the theological mores of the divine? That's exactly what I do. Why? And mainly I do that in that community. Why? Because there are people that believe like me. There are people that believe, try it again, like me, right? So I understand that if anyone that doesn't believe like me is an unbeliever, number one, you know, and a center, however we define that, however you define that in your denominational and your ecclesiastical perspective, you know? But if I am the mayor of the city, my job is not to pastor the city who only believes like me who only looks like me. No, my job is to be the mayor of a city knowing that there are some, many that didn't vote for me. And yet I must construct and conduct myself as the mayor to fully fully embrace and give opportunity to everyone. And this is what we're missing in this country. Right, We're missing that whole, that's another conversation of this whole church mixture. But church in this country, religion in this country has a lot to do with race because a lot of their constructs, read the Bible and said, well, Abraham had slaves and the children of Israel were slaves and blah, blah, but it was not the same chattel slavery that was brought here and erected here in America. History proves that out. History proves it out. It was not chattel slavery the way uh, that america decided to perform it was because those slaves were no prisoners they were not prisoners of war you literally bought people to work as beasts of burdens totally different than all of the historic history of slavery Did slavery exist in in the world before uh, uh before the slaves the enslaved uh, landed on in this country yes absolutely it was a part of warfare It was a part of the economic structure because those that could not pay, you can read it. It's right there in the text. Absolutely. So nobody's refuting that. But you worked as a servant, a slave to get out of debt. And when that debt is paid off, now you have purchased what? Your freedom. This was the whole idea of, you know, the, 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 The woman that says, hey, her children were about to be sold into slavery because her husband left her no money. You know about the pot and the oil? If you read the whole context, that was the whole issue. That she did not want the mortgage collectors to come to take her sons into slavery because her husband died, left her no money. And so the prophet said, hey, what do you have in your, your your house? She says, a cruise of oil. He says, go out and borrow many vessels and borrow not a few. And she, you know how the story goes. And when she poured it in the vessels and the prophet says, okay, go and sell the oil and pay your debt and live off the rest. It's right there in the text. So the, the contingency of bare slavery was about debt. Debt. Once you pay off your debt, she had a debt to pay in her mortgage, and they were coming to take her sons to make her sons work to pay off her mortgage. That's biblical level of slavery, right? When we get to Philemon in the Old Testament, I mean the New Testament, Paul's talking about uh, uh, to Philemon's master and tell and the 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 say servant, the slave named Onesimus. Right, Paul is teaching. You know how to how to take care of how to treat him absolutely so were there slaves yes but context matters. chattel slavery being and non-being the value chart slavery was something that was very unique in Americana and it borrowed uh, uh, from the European racial societal construct and they brought it over to this country. So that that so that that's very important for you to understand. So when somebody says and see right now, there's a book that we're reading, divided by race. That that I'm reading uh, that's entitled "Divided by Race." That brings up that uh, that whole idea, a whole context of how race is looked at from a religious and a Christian perspective. I just looked at. A video of a, a pastor that says that to the young people, if y'all bring a person of a different race and expect me to marry you, I'm not going to do it. That's against the Bible. No, it is not. Race wasn't an issue in that text. It's ethnicity. It's cultural ethnicity. I don't want your sons to go a whoring after other nations. Don't bring other wives in that. That was not. No. Moses had a black wife. Zipporah was black. Hello, what are you talking about? You know, so it's a whole construct that you've got to understand that this American experiment is based on. And each generation, we have to do our part to improve the conversation. That yes, that if you can forgive loans that come from Trump University, you ought to be able to forgive loans that come from FAMU. You ought to. That's right. Exactly. Exactly that we have to pay loans too. So again, we have a lot to work on, but you have to think about who is the best person and the best people around that can get the job done. Who can we have that conversation with in our community and teach our children, here's your responsibility going forward. Cause I don't want you to be a part of those people who don't have a place in America. Race only matters the people who think race matters. And when I say race, I'm not talking about black, white, red, Asian. I'm not talking about Native American. I'm talking about human race. Start there. Do you see the person sitting next to you? Do you see people as human? And if you do, you're already ahead of the game. Absolutely. Listen, this is the Culture Call with yours, Truly, L. Spencer Smith. Keep it right here. We got a little bit more to go on Praise 93 Point three, your inspiration station. Keep it here. Don't miss it. This is a world premiere. Well, family, it's been an amazing day. And I wish I had more time because I have more substance. I have more things, much more I want to talk to you about, right? Concerning race in America. And my prayer, here's my prayer, that you heard the sentiment of my heart. It's never to divide. It's always to unite. But, you know, I was asked a question, you know, the whole idea of reconciliation. I was sitting in class and my professor said, what does reconciliation mean to you? Racial reconciliation is what we're talking about. And I and he asked me, you know, Smith, what does that mean to you? And I listened to my other classmates give their answers. He says from a theological perspective. And I turned to Proverbs. I said, you know, all of them gave the good Samaritan, you know, love each other we're all in Genesis, you know, all of that those contexts. And I say, just ex- you have to excuse me for being maybe contrarian, but mine is Proverbs eleven and one, and it's a just balance is an abomination to God. <laughs> that when we talk about re- uh, 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 when we talk about reconciliation, that we cannot approach it from an unjust balance. And I said, but accurate weights is His delights. That when we begin to look at each other from an accurate perspective, from a balanced perspective, from a just weight perspective, that that brings, I think, God delight. That when we balance out and begin to understand that there is some inequities that have been institutionalized against a sector of people, that there are people that have been disenfranchised and marginalized historically as a part of the context of this country, until we make that right, no level of kumbaya, no level of you come to my church, I come to your church, none of that, none of that those other you know, societal implications are going to work. When you can look at me fully as a human and I can look at you fully as a human and we don't see each other's history just simply from oppressor, master enslaved. When we see each other as God's children, Then we can begin this journey of being balanced, and then we can reconcile, right? But America, the math ain't mathing, and we've got to start adding and subtracting what is no longer necessary for us to be a common union, a community, a full human community. Listen, this has been an amazing conversation, and I wish I had more time, but I don't. But, you know, like my grandmama and my mama will always say at the end of every phone call, I love you a bushel, I love you a peck, and I love you a hug around the neck. This has been The Culture Call with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith, right here on Praise 93.3. Be good, be kind, do your part to be a full, gracious, God-created human. Reflect that goodness, okay? Do right and be at peace. Y'all have a beautiful and blessed day.